Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Absolutely. This week, Treasure at the Heart of the Tanglewood by Meredith Ann Pierce. Quick note before we get into anything, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't checked this one out before or if you haven't read it in a while... Just go do that first. And with this one, I highly recommend it. You can read yeah. it very quickly. Yeah, it's a short read. It is a lovely experience. Yeah. Um, really feels like you enter a sort of trance deep in a forest. Yeah. And I'm into that. So if it sounds like it might be something that's right for you, please read Treasure at the Heart of the Tanglewood. It's a very immersive book. This book was published in 2001. Before we get into the plot specifics, we will give you a little breakdown of how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Madeline? So I love the cover of this book. Um, I It's definitely one that I think in particular young girls will just totally yeah. fall prey to. Yeah, because <laughs> she's so pretty and uh, she looks so kind why don't you give us a description of what is actually on the cover so well, our readers can follow There is a girl who looks pretty and kind. <laughs> um, she's standing behind this blue curtain that's half drawn back with the moon and stars on it. And then on the other side, um, you can see the sky in the background and then the tree cover uh, because that's the Tanglewood, and there is a lovely young woman here. Um, looks like she is brown Hannah because she's wearing a like brown dress, um, and she has leaves and flowers in her hair, um, and it's done in like a, maybe oils. Uh, I feel like I can see the canvas a little bit. It's definitely a a Renaissance style depiction of a woman. Um, she kind of looks like Venus from the birth of Venus yeah. and is gazing serenely forward in that sort of soft eyed way. See, like you can see the canvas. It's just really beautiful and it captures mm -hmm. the feel of the story. Well, wow. yeah. Yeah. It's really lovely. Strong I, cover. I really love this cover. Yeah. Um, and it, I like that we have the hard cover too. Um, because it just feels really, um, I don't know, magical. So I'll now provide a quick plot summary for those who might not remember the book so well or have checked it out before and who ignored our request to go read it. Our, um, was this a listener request? No. Or was it just something that I remember? This was a Madeline was request. Like, I want to do this book. We've had many episodes recently that Madeline did not read when young, and this is one that she absolutely adored. So I'm excited to hear your old and new impressions. Yeah. But first, what happens in this book? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. <laughs> this book is about a young woman of indeterminate age named Hannah who lives in a mysterious dark wood. Within that wood, she has animal friends. Um, Great animal <laughs> friends. The closest of which are a badger and a magpie. Flowers and leaves and shoots and different sort of plants grow from her scalp and fill her hair. And she uses these to create... Uh, medicines and other remedies for the uh, villagers that live in the small town outside of the wood. The cotters. The cotters, as they're called in the book. Uh, the book uses a lot of um, medieval language. I love the language. Like, I love it the really, way this book is It written. really firmly plants you in this yeah. setting. Yeah. Um, it, it feels as if you are being told the story by Hannah herself or yeah. someone else who may have witnessed it at the time. Um so she helps the cotters and just uses the plants in her hair in whatever ways she sees fit. And she seems to know how each of them will work and which is right for which ailment. Yeah. Once a month, she is required to venture to the heart of the wood and provide a man who is living there, the wizard, with the shoots from her scalp that have been used to brew a tea. And he drinks the tea and seems to be somewhat restored each time. And she has to take all of the, well, 
substantively all of the shoots out of her hair for the wizard so it like drains her own strength Mm -hmm. every time she does it she is exhausted and weak afterwards and doesn't really feel like herself again until things have started to grow back Mm -hmm. when the cotters receive help from hannah they try to give her payment and this is usually in the form of peat or wood or other um, burnable objects and resources and she doesn't want anything from them she doesn't want any payment so one day although the wizard has expressed that he would not like her to cure them or visit them or interact with them in any way because he wants to hoard her powers for he wants her foreshadowing (laughs) he wants her to stay in the wood and not deal with anyone other than him she goes to the village to try to return things, and the villagers are all terrified of her. Mm-hmm. And she tries to ask them why. And they talk about the golden boar mm-hmm. and how the boar requires gold from them and treasures, payment, and if not, the boar will murder them. Mm-hmm. And Hannah's like, what the heck? I've lived in the wood as long as I can remember. I've never seen a boar. I don't know what you're talking about. And gets all flustered and confused. She also sees a cotter that she remembers treating when they were very young. Mm -hmm. And now they're old and they have a bunch of kids. And she's like, wait, I'm confused. How does time work? Something is wrong. Yeah. Because of her day in the village, she is late getting to the wizard with his tea that month. Yeah. And he is enraged and he pulls all of the shoots violently from her head. And this completely, it's a total attack on her and she is like mortally wounded by it. Almost kills her. And has to be rescued by the bear, (laughs) golden bear and her other animal friends and nursed back to health. And after that point, the wizard doesn't bring it up again, but Hannah begins using only a few shoots and sprouts and flowers to brew his tea and trying to keep some for herself. And she hides her hair under a covering when she visits him. So he becomes weaker and she becomes stronger. That's right. At the same time, Hannah's trying to figure out what's going on with all these knights that keep riding valiantly into the wood and then disappear and are never seen or heard from again. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't like it. And she tries to call out to them and say, There's nothing in there. Don't do it. Stop. And they all don't even seem to hear her. They just continue riding by. Mm -hmm. One day, a slightly different knight comes to the wood, and she meets him on the beach where she is gathering mussels. (laughs) She's constantly trying to get enough food for not only herself, but for her animal friends. And there's a group of foxes that... The fox cubs. Yeah, I love them. Need to be cared for. Although Hannah is a vegan. Yeah, Yeah. she's a vegan. Yeah. She encounters a knight with black hair who is all in black and is riding up the beach. And she speaks to him and he actually stops and engages with her. And he smells of foxes. He reminds her of foxes. And she ends up giving him a lily from her hair, which he pins to his breast. Mm Mm-hmm but then continues riding into the wood and says he must do it. Hannah tries to find him. Yeah. And he, when she does find him, he's been all messed up by the boar. Yes. So then she brings him back to her, uh, house and uh, but he hasn't been killed and no. what actually happened is that the boar was able to attack his horse but right, not him right, because, because he had the, the lily. lily protecting yeah. him and the boar was afraid of the mm-hmm. lily so hannah takes him back to her hut and begins nursing him back to health he has a really badly broken leg um so he can't walk and the two of them spend a lot of time together they live together in her hut He helps her in whatever ways he can with all of her different tasks. And he tells her about the queen who sent him. Tells her about his queen, who Hannah's very confused by because she feels that the queen must be cruel because she's sending all these knights to their certain death. And Foxkith, as Hannah decides to call the man, tells her that the golden boar stole something of incredible importance from the queen and that they must find it and that they can't really remember what their lives were before their quest 
they come from a sort of unknown place and then they have to get a horse and armor and all the things they need to try to fight the boar once they're on this other land where the treasure at the heart of the tanglewood lies. Mm. Um, and it's all kind of confusing. He definitely seems like he's enchanted because he can't remember huge parts got of his life. a little line. bit of that wobbly magic brain. Wobbly magic <laughs> brain. That's right. W- <laughs> WMP. <laughs> little WMB. Um, and Hannah is like, okay, I need to investigate this further for myself. But also, hey, it's time to go give the wizard his tea. So she is nervous about leaving Foxkith because she is sure that he's going to try to kill the wizard himself as soon as he gets a chance. Um, so she, I don't think she chooses to do this, but oh. at this point there are huge spikes that have grown up around her hut. It, it's just a manifestation of her power protecting yeah. Foxkith because she's not, she's no longer bleeding herself dry well, for the wizard. Well, totally. But the thing is, she doesn't choose to do anything no, that is happens. the result of her powers. Yeah. Um, but there is something working through her that is yes. causing the things she'd like and need to happen. Cause, to cause happen. She doesn't understand how her magic works. She's she doesn't, never been taught. She doesn't know literally anything yeah. about um, anything. Yeah. <laughs> she's like an infant. Mm-hmm. So she goes to meet the wizard and give him his tea. And at the same time, Foxkith follows her and comes into the wood. Mm -hmm. And I forgot to mention this part, but Hannah had previously found giant piles of bones in the wood. So (laughs) that that wasn't good. (laughs) And she knows that something is going on. Bones and also treasure. The wizard comes and he's like, uh... Dang it, I wish I'd managed to kill you before. And everything comes out. The wizard is the boar. He turns into the boar. He tries to attack them. And he turns Foxkith back into a fox. Hannah manages to escape because the boar is pinned under vines that she pulls from the ground. Yeah. Um, And she and the wizard have a really upsetting conversation where he's like, I made you, I own you, you are mine, and you just have to serve me. And she's like, what the heck? No. No, bro, no. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) And Hannah and Foxkith head out of the wood along with Badger and Magpie and the fox cubs to try to find the queen and figure out in in Hannah's mind, what she wants to do is turn him back into a man because they have also fallen in love and they shared a kiss shortly before he he got foxed before he was turned into a fox. Um, And uh, they want to try to figure that, that whole thing out. And Hannah also doesn't understand anything about anything, as I mentioned earlier. So she's like, what is this world? Get me out into it. What is this world? What is this world? (laughs) Seinfeld reference. No, it's a 30 Rock joke. It's a 30 Rock joke about Seinfeld. (laughs) Are you making fun of me? (laughs) No, this is what I sound like when I cry. (laughs) Okay. They head out into the world. Hannah begins to change as she moves further from the forest. First, she notices that there is green spreading along in her trail and there are plants and grass and trees growing up behind her as she journeys. And she is actually the nexus point from which spring is spreading out all around her. And she's like, huh? Okay, better keep going. That's going on. <laughs> I, won't, I won't be examining that any further. Uh, she continues on, and spring changes to summer, and grains are falling from her hair. She meets an old woman named Marta on the road who says that she needs someone to help her walk into town the next day for the Holy One's arrival. Mm-hmm. And Hannah's like, okay, yeah, I'll help you. Weird religious people, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes to Marta's house and stays with her overnight. There is an incredibly infuriating moment in which she notices a beautiful quilt on the guest bed that she's sleeping in that very clearly tells her story. Yeah. And yet 
in the narration, we get like two lines of like, yeah, there was a boar on it and like a wizard carrying something. And then she fell asleep. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> tell me what the quilt says. <laughs> and I thought she'd wake up and look at it the next day, but there's no further examination of the quilt. Anyway, the next day, Hannah goes with Marta to the town and they crowd into a church and some holy people of questionable authenticity. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So people come in and they preach for like the entire day. They're talking about the spring maiden and the summer girl and this natural goddess force um, and how the seasons are finally changing and they feel that she's closer than ever. Um, Because uh, Hannah is, I mean... She is a deity. She's like all these different things embodied at once. She's the changing of the seasons. And then we find out more about her mother coming up here too. And her mother is another side of like her deity-ness. Hannah runs away um, because her cowl gets pulled off and her hair is clearly made of grain and her dress is golden. And then everyone's like, and oh, everyone's like, the goddess you. is among <laughs> us. And she's really overwhelmed and by Magda that. is just over there being like, what? What is it? What is it? <laughs> can't see i really appreciate that marta um so hannah runs away and as she runs she covers an incredible distance and then she stops and is like i feel like i took like 10 steps but i'm very clearly hundreds of miles away and then we start getting some like size distortion stuff going on it's very confusing but also very dreamy um And at that point, her hair and gown are continuing to change and become harvesty. Harvesty? Harvesty, you say. Perfect for October. And she becomes uh, russet Hannah at that point. So she and the animals arrive at the edge of a sea. And she can see the mysterious pillar of cloud off in the distance that she has seen before and has thought of as the faraway island and realizes that that's probably where the queen is and that's where they need to go. Mm-hmm. So they, Hannah makes a magic boat out of some driftwood that is clearly the wrecked remains of the ship that the knights have used in the past to come from the queen's island. The island is very creepy. Yeah, the it island is some some bad feels. Is barren. Um, there are very few animals, even in the ones that are clearly starving, and there's no life, plant wise or human. Yeah. Eventually, Hannah and her companions get to a deserted city um, that was clearly once grand, but is yeah just bereft of anything good um and the whole thing feels pretty apocalyptic and eventually they get to a tree that has a few little shoots growing on it and it's clear that those are what the animals that it's a huge tree are left on the island are eating it is very massive and majestic and hannah starts to talk to the tree and the tree tells her a really sad story about how it was once the I don't I don't remember how the tree self-identifies but I'm pretty sure it's as um like the god figure for this kingdom yeah Um, I mean this world basically yeah but but it's all discussed on a more personal small level right yeah um And the way the tree talks about it is, you know, that she was just, you know, a a person in this kingdom, Mm -hmm. in this world. And that she was kind of the religious, spiritual guide for all, but also the provider um, of the changing seasons and the food and Mm -hmm. other growth that comes with those changing seasons yeah and that one of the king's sons was a particular favorite of hers and they spent so much time when he was growing up but one day he decided that he wanted to go away and try to seek his fortune essentially 
And he came back and um, killed everyone. <laughs> <laughs> just totally destroyed everything. A really bad time. Um, was trying to take the tree's power and to some extent ex- succeeded and ripped the tree's bud out from her heart. Like yeah. her, her little sprout that she was growing mm-hmm. um, that was clearly her child. Yeah. And the reason it's kind of hard to describe this part of the book is that it's all just a conversation and like a story that's told. None of it is happening in the present narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And through this whole period, this whole long period of time that they're talking as Hannah's feeling like weaker and weaker and just laying down on the ground and trying not to scream at the tree like, I know this is how trees work. I learned this in Lord of the Rings, but like you need to hurry things up. You need more information. <laughs> need the information faster because she just wants to turn Foxgith back into a man at this yeah. point. That's what her main concern oh, is. Oh, you're saying that she read Lord of the Rings. That's why she knows. Yep. Yeah. Hannah knows yeah. from the Entmoot. Yeah. Um, and then the tree is basically like, don't you get it? You are my child. The wizard is the bad son. And you are what he stole from me. And the tree's like, you know, but you're back now. Um, And clearly you are taking back the tide of the seasons and Mm -hmm. reorienting the natural order. But I'm really tired, so I'm going to go to sleep. I have told you this whole story and I can't possibly go on. But, you know, did you ever think that, like, maybe you have the power to turn Foxkith back? And then the tree goes to sleep. (laughs) That's the end of that character in the book. Yep. (laughs) And I love it. And then Hannah turns Foxkith back into a man. She does. She she heals the tree, too. She She heals heals the tree. She turns Magpie and Badger back into people. They were all they were all folks who lived at the castle together. And uh, that's it. That's the end of the book. Okay, so before we get into old and new impressions, I need to tell you all that we read this book a while ago. We tried to record. I'm sorry if any details are a little foggy. Yeah. Um, but the Grace day had a rough week. The day we tried to record, one of our mics broke, and also one of my cats ran away, and I've had a really bad week, but he's back now. He came back. He came back. Um, I need to share the way in which I managed to get him to come back spread the word um, grace because i think all cat owners should know about this and it's not something i had ever heard before never and in my life this is kind of gross and weird but one of my neighbors put a note on my door because she saw my missing cat flyers and said okay my cat was once missing for weeks stay with me i talked <laughs> to a cat specialist and she suggested what are you still with cat me specialist <laughs> the note said cat specialist And said, try putting out a cup of your own urine because cats are very attracted to anything that smells like their owners. And that is basically like the the sharpest scent that you can create. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, well, you guys, I did it. And it worked within an hour and a half. Chicken sticks came back that night. Yeah, my, my cat strolled into the courtyard after I had not seen or heard a peep from him and no one in my neighborhood had because I was going door to door with flyers. I was really getting the word out and getting like, you know, there were people looking, they were texting me and calling me and stuff and telling me they were trying, but that they had not seen him. So I was certain myself and my boyfriend were looking all over the neighborhood. Our brother was like, most of Seattle knew that Chicken Sticks was missing. I was sure he was gone. And he strolled into the courtyard, meowing his presence and his return, and just like so proud and excited. And he came home. And I don't know if he would have otherwise. So, hey, if you have a cat and it disappears, I'm not like telling you to pee in a cup, but <laughs> it could make a really big difference and when you reach that point you're willing to try anything I would have done more extreme things to be honest so just a little PSA from us to all of you she would have killed multiple people guys (laughs) would have gotten really dark okay so let's discuss our old and new impressions and I'm gonna let Madeline lead the discussion because it's your time we've covered a book that you have strong youthful connections to Okay, so, yes, I have a strong connection to this book. Um, Interestingly, I don't 
remember books very well that I read a long time ago. So for me, like seeing a picture of this book online and being like, okay, wait, right. That book was like a really intense feeling because I couldn't remember anything about the plot. All I could remember is the emotions that I had attached to it and that I just felt like it was a really strong, like magical guidebook um, that had been very important to me in my youth. And it's true because, and I wouldn't have been able to vocalize this as a child, obviously, but what is so attractive about this book for me then and now is that she starts out, she's incredibly powerful, but she has absolutely zero agency. Like she's, she's just like being used by this person who she like submits to. Um, and as time goes on, she embraces her power, escapes him, becomes a God. Like that is, that is just such an attractive arc and it's so cool. And I also just like, as a kid, I really loved her cause she was just kind of like derping around and know what was going on, which is how I felt when I was a kid. <laughs> She had animal friends. She could make food out of nothing, which I also loved because we had a big yard growing up and I would like go out there and pretend that I could like survive out there and like make little mud pies Mm -hmm. that were not actually edible. Um, You know, things like that. And uh, I experienced a lot of those emotions again when I was reading this this time. Um, And it's just it's so, so magical, too. And I really, really like that the ending is not like an ending, really. It's just the it just kind of stops there. So Mm -hmm. you you don't feel like things are over. You feel like this is really just the beginning and like everything's going to get more amazing and wonderful from there. So I don't experience the ending sadness Mm -hmm. that I usually get because you have a problem with endings. Yeah. And I think that's part of why I liked it when I was younger, too. And just like the picture of her on the front is just it's so cool. I love it. I like 10 out of 10 (laughs) would read again. Well, because the image has left a much stronger impression on you than the story itself. Yeah. Because you recall this. And when we were doing um, something interesting to do to kind of delve into our forgotten, but once important books a bit better is to look at the uh, related books and recommendations on Goodreads, especially, um, because those algorithms have definitely picked something up and there have been some moments where I've, you see a cover and you're like, Oh my God. Wow. It hits you over the head. Yeah. Over the head. Over the head. And it's something that you haven't thought about in 20 years, but it's still in there. Yeah. Um, And this is how we remembered Treasure at the Heart of the Tanglewood. Yeah. And that's totally how seeing this was for me. was Mm -hmm. just like, oh, wow, wow. Like, oh, I need to read that book again. And uh, I'm so glad we did because Grace is right. It's very like meditate like it just it's transportive Mm -hmm. i just love the language in it here give me that i want to read an excerpt like a a great just little example of how lush the world is that the writing creates now standing shank deep in a marshy place sprung with cattails and bulrushes hannah sighed badger wandered along the bank turning over stones to look for grubs the fox pups dug at the water's edge while fox kith rustled unseen through the reeds nearby. Magpie perched on her shoulder as the green girl stood cooling her feet. The sun shone positively warm. Hannah had felt thirsty upon first entering the pool, but now, as her leaf-colored gown absorbed the clear, cool water, the fair-haired girl felt strangely satisfied, her thirst quenched. Like, I, I just love the way that it's, it's a meal, the mm-hmm. way the writing is. It's just... It's very, um, I don't even know. I think Meredith Ann Pierce really weaves together a few different storytelling methods Mm. and vehicles really well. Mm. Because on the one hand, you can read it as a novel. And on another hand, you can read it as a poem, Mm. kind of an epic poem. Yeah. And on another, you can read it as a fairy tale, like a very contained story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that she really pulls the best pieces from each of those 
vehicles and weaves them together in a way that serves the story itself. Like the actual events that take place make sense told in the language that they're told in and in the way that they're told. Yeah. Um, it, it could almost be like a really, you know, it is, it's a really impressive writing exercise in a lot of ways. Um, and the, story itself like the narrative is really strange um the climax is in the like first half of the book right and after that there actually isn't really any conflict (laughs) no she's just like trying to figure herself out it because hannah's coming of age and self-awareness don't really happen until after the climax because before that she is just too trapped in this emotionally and physically abusive relationship Mm -hmm. and also enchanted to some extent because Hannah doesn't have memories from before she was you know her current self living in the wood and she was raised by someone who created a totally isolated and knowledgeless environment for her and has done everything possible to keep her limited and keep her trapped there. Um, including the, just like the really sick component that she has to pull out her own power and feed it to him. Like it's a really gross, um, and unsettling, um, yeah, I so and I think it's a good metaphor for how young girls are used and abused. Mm-hmm, yeah, I agree. Um, I there's there's actually a lot of uh, what feels like sexual violence yeah. in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, nothing that's explicitly like actual sexual violence. No, but it really feels like it. Yeah, the ancient mother um, having her bud ripped from her mm-hmm. um and then having the wound there for the rest of time until Hannah feel, f- heals her yeah. um was really striking and it's kind of fascinating that there was initially a matriarchal religion um even though there was what seems like a standard monarchy in that kingdom mm-hmm. it was the you know, the goddess, the tree was like a separate thing place. Yeah. And who was really, um, you know, I, they weren't concerned with who's really in charge because they weren't a capitalist society at that point. Yeah. The wizard actually introduces capitalism, <laughs> um, because he, wa- he starts asking like, well, why don't we do something with gold other than just using it for trading as needed? Um, because it like, sounds like what it was about pretty, exploitation of labor? It sounds like it was a pretty egalitarian society yeah. before that. Um, mm-hmm. Even though they had a monarchy in place, it sounds like everyone really was able to, you know, do what it was that they wanted to do and wealth wasn't being hoarded. No. Um, Okay, anyway, this is all part of my old and new impression. <laughs> no, it's a super anti-capitalist book. It is, and it's really easy when you're young to just read it as a fairy tale, which is all I ever did. I didn't have as close a relationship with this book as you did. I think I've only read it like once or twice okay. before. Um, and when you're young, it is easy to just read it as a straightforward fairy tale because on that level, it totally makes sense. Um but then there are many other themes being explored that go a lot deeper mm-hmm. than just being interested in telling a story. And if you think back to some of the old, you know, Hans Christian Andersen, Grimm Brothers fairy tales that this evokes, the end messages are really, really different from this one because this is essentially encouraging disobedience, especially for young women Mm -hmm. who have been told to occupy a certain place in their society, whatever that might be, even though Hannah's society is just, you know, her and some animals (laughs) and the wizard in a wood. (laughs) Pretty okay to me. But she's been instructed to do things that she knows are hurting her and that she suspects are hurting others. Yeah. And she rallies and figures out, even though at first it's her body making the decisions before she's making the decisions because she's been so brainwashed, Mm -hmm. um, she's able to break free. And the way that she does that is really unbelievably cool because she has the support of the animals, but 
but it ends up really having to to come from her. And I think I think something that a lot of people um, don't like about this book based on the Goodreads responses is mm-hmm. that she is so oblivious to um, her true self well, and but power. She's never, but she's always been a child like no one has taught her how to be anything other than just like this loving woodland spirit who gets her power drained. Right. Exactly. Um, and she, she's set, like I mentioned earlier, like intellectually she's been stunted. She has the perspective of a very young child. Mm -hmm. Um, and she not only doesn't know anything about herself or her own, you know, family, she doesn't know anything about how the world works. And Mm -hmm. she, at the same time, she hasn't been protected she's been put into this subjugated place where she's not only serving the wizard but she's having to fend for herself and live through an endless winter in a wood <laughs> like there's a lot of passages and she's taking care of other people too yeah taking care of other humans and other animals and there are a lot of passages about her like trying to you know repair the roof in her hut and the different um, foods that she makes so that she can have them longer term and how when she's injured when she's after she's attacked by the wizard mm-hmm. the animals have to make food for her because yeah. she doesn't you know there's no other yeah. way that she'd and be able to survive a huge mess. it's really cute <laughs> they make a big mess and the magpie who was a cook as a human um, manages to direct the others into making some delicious concoctions yeah it's really cute <laughs> even though they try to make her eat snails and she's like no I'm a vegan yeah, <laughs> she won't eat this. I love how the magpie is like so proud of himself. He's like, I love good. how the magpie, she says, snails for flavor, which is hilarious because the whole thing about snails is that they pick up whatever flavor yeah. you put into the dish. Yeah, but she's a bird slash human right. chef. Yeah, so, so. she's got her own stuff going yeah. on. Um, and Hannah also like, you know, it kind of brings up the question of like, okay, so if you have this great power and ability within yourself, but you have nothing to bounce that concept off of, or like to get any piece of information from, like if you have the tools, but you have no guidebook at all, yeah. how long is it going to take to figure right. out how to use the tools that could, that can take your entire life. It's right. kind of like, I don't know. It's, it just kind of reminds me of like the therapy process in our lives mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, I can be emotionally healthy, but but you got to work at I it. I don't mm-hmm. have the patterns in place to understand how to use those parts of my brain. Yeah. And you have to spend a lot of time training them. And that's with a professional guidance and input. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like Hannah does a great job, mm-hmm. especially because it's not just that she's trying to understand her own brain, but understand her own body. Yeah. Like she goes through every possible, it's like puberty on a mass. Right. Scale. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a puberty analog too. Yeah. But, but happening in such uh, an intense way on a very grand scale yeah. while she's also at that point running away. Um, so she doesn't like have a safe space in which she can just experience these things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot. It, is, is a lot yeah and hannah's really she really kind of just floats through the world that is around her um and she can't really try to figure those things out at that mm-hmm. time because that like we said she has much more important things to deal with which it, it's kind of like the uh, hierarchy of needs where she hasn't mm. yet reached the place where she has like safe shelter and sustenance yeah so she can't get to the self-actualization until the very end of the book yeah yeah speaking to the kind of interesting genre and plot structure i will say i typically don't enjoy poetry (laughs) um and i know this book is not poetry it's prose but i think it kind of used the components of poetry that I do like in an effective way because the second half of the book really the entire thing reads like a dream sequence to me Um, it feels like the first half of the book and when I say half I'm talking about the point up to and then following the fight with the wizard right um, which is when everything shifts and Hannah leaps the wood Mm -hmm. and begins leaving these preconceived ideas about herself Mm -hmm. and 
it's after that point, it's really just, it could be completely in her mind what is happening because everything does get more extreme and more and further from what seems like it could be reality. Um, moments like her in a pond appearing as some kind of deity to children and jumping and ru- or running hundreds of miles with a single step and her hair changing and her spreading nature behind her as she voyages forward, um, all the while not having those moments of like dialogue or internal perspective where she's like trying to understand what hap- what's happening. It's just like a collection of images as sort of visions intertwined together. You're right. And I, en- I enjoyed that. Like epic poem. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I think it's a very weird, weird book. Uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not what you think you're going to get, especially after like the first few chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, I was yeah. really surprised when the wizard had been defeated and it was, there was so much book left. Um, I was like, okay, I guess we're going to go see the queen. <laughs> now. Um, and then the ending itself is very strange mm-hmm. because of, as we've discussed, the book just kind of cuts out, but there's also a moment right before the end when Hannah's talking to the tree and says, you know, I can see the wizard and I see that he's still thrashing around. He's trapped in the vines, but he's still a boar and he could cause more violence. So I'm going to go back and deal with him. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's, that's it. (laughs) She just, she says that it's like, there is this decision to have that other big climax, but it's not shown in the book. Yeah. But she's so decisive about it. I I don't know. I love, where this book goes like you get to see the parts of an adventure that usually you don't get to see as much of Mm -hmm. it's like more journey than plot by the end and I'm I'm kind of into that because the writing is so beautiful and I enjoy like the scenery that she's experiencing and you know it's brought on by her changing and we get lots of the um fox kith and badger Mm -hmm. and magpie and the fox cubs all just like on the road with her and it's uh I I just really enjoy it. Maybe we like it because it reminds us of the Zelda franchise in a lot of ways. It's so <laughs> Zelda E. Like you're just out there wandering plot kind around. Of vague. Yeah. Like you you got an idea of what you're doing, but what you, even is you, it? You can spend years ignoring the main storyline. <laughs> just you, you know, doing what you want to do. Side quests, side quests. Um yeah, I, I, I did have a lot of moments where I was like, I feel like I'm just running across Hyrule right now. And Which I'm is not a good mad. feeling. Yeah, yeah, I'm not mad. I'm yeah. not mad about it. Um, and there's also the coming of age tale that is Hannah's journey throughout the story is also like we talked about, it's really magnified because it's not just about Hannah. The world is also coming of age because without Hannah being Mm -hmm. able to move forward naturally, the world doesn't get seasons and nobody has food and Mm -hmm. everyone is really beholden to monsters like the wizard because they feel like they're very much on the edge of survival. Um, So that makes it easier for them to fall prey to these kinds of psychos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also liked trying to kind of puzzle out which specific mythologies or figures were alluded to in the book. Oh, okay. So we get a few different Hannahs throughout the book, um, and then there are the accompanying goddess figures that those Hannah versions are related to. Yeah. We have brown Hannah, and then green Hannah, and then golden Hannah, and then russet Hannah. And that goes from spring maiden to autumn, or I'm sorry, spring maiden to summer girl to autumn lass. I don't remember what winter... Winter lady. I don't know. <laughs> Grace just did a really funny, like, hands on hips. Winter lady. I'm the winter lady. Um, but so overall, we get the um, we get the maiden, mother, and crone concept, which is the you know kind of goddess tri tri force <laughs> that is present in a lot of um, you know goddess type mythological 
patterns. Um, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like, um, maiden mother and crone. Yeah. Like it's the, each piece of what a woman can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's part of the reason why Catholicism has like three dudes because they're trying to stomp out the mm-hmm. patriarchal pagan religion. Yeah. The paganism. By replacing. Um, so I definitely felt that faraway Island was Olympus. Yeah. Um, no, I really had that feeling. Because of, yeah, a million different reasons. Um, And then the other really strong uh, story that I got was um, thinking about the green man, um, but but the green man had become a green woman in Mm. this book, um, which I really liked. uh, And the green man is, uh, so I've always thought about green man because I had a collection. (laughs) Oh, it's the green man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a collection of um, fantasy yeah. stories and poems that I'd like to cover at some point. Yeah. Um, we will. I mm-hmm. have it. Uh, when I was a teenager that had um, so many amazing stories in it. Yeah, definitely. We got to cover that. Um, and it was called The Green Man. And I had always thought that the green man was a distinct figure that had run through a lot of different storytelling traditions. Um, yeah. But I did a little research and the green man was actually made up in the 20th century. Um, For the Jolly Green Giant? No. Oh, oh. my God. No. <laughs> um <laughs> where I thought this was going. (laughs) So many uh, very old churches in Europe have green man reliefs carved in them somewhere. Um, And that's, you know, just a man with leaves spilling out of his mouth and then creating like a garland around him. And he usually has a lot of wavy hair flowing around him as well. And a uh, writer, the wife of a lord, I should say, who was allowed to write something, um, in the very early 20th century in England, her name was Lady Raglan, wrote a piece. Oh, 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 uh, wrote a piece asserting that the Green Man was this part of this longer storied tradition, and citing like a lot of nonsense. It was it was just made oh, up. So it was just made just up. Totally made yeah, up. Totally made up. That's so interesting. Um, you know, yeah. of course, there are similar figures in a lot of different cultures, right. stories, and mythologies, mm-hmm. um, but nothing that is like a long running connection. Um, like uh, Dane's father in Tamara Pierce's The Immortals series. He's definitely like the green. Yeah, guy. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll kind of diving into that feeling, like yeah. diving in that direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, and then we also have the uh, shape shifting uh, um, animals and people, which is in a lot of different fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought that. It all worked together really well without feeling like it was too strong a retelling of any particular story. I mean, this is unique for sure, even though it has a lot of elements from different traditions. Even like um, the, uh, what is it actually called? The collection of old uh, um, classic Arab fairy tales, including like... One Thousand and One Nights. Okay. Uh, there was definitely some hints of those kinds of storylines in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, it wasn't just Western quote unquote Western um, yeah, story no, threads in there. Like it was, it really was all over the map, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Like it really drew from all of the rich um, tapestry of fantasy that we have available to us. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it's a really cool book. I I think people really undervalue it. Um, yeah, the, those Goodreads people are <sighs> schmucks. I mean, they don't know what they're talking about. Goodreads is a great tool in many ways. It's also very annoying in many ways. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I feel like it's becoming like Yelp where people hop on there and they're like, my opinion is the be all end all opinion. No Christmas special in July. That's one star. And I hate this <laughs> for personal reasons. I also think... After the Dark Angel trilogy with Meredith Ann Pierce mm. um, and that being kind of her defining work, yeah. this is very different from that, yeah. but also kind of similar to that. This is incredibly different. From I didn't even think about that while I was reading it, that this is the same author who did Dark Angel. It's so different. But also... 
but also not. right. That's what, that's what I'm saying. It has a similar feel of to just it, like the really deep rooted mythology, and also the really compelling imagery and that these moments feeling so dreamlike uh-huh. um, because there's also parts of the dark angel where it's like is this real like is this actually happening within the narrative it's uh-huh. kind of hard to tell yeah yeah but in a in a compelling way and anyway, i like this meredith book. ampere's is awesome she, yeah. has, she hasn't written very much she's not very prolific so we well, gotta probably because her books are so dense so animals just like Animals in this book. In this book, we've it's already full of animals. Oh god, so many! <laughs> I totally understand why young Madeline was obsessed with yes. this. It just, yeah. Not only are you surrounded by animals, <laughs> you get to talk to them, and they cook for you. They hang out with you and protect you from the mean wizard. Yeah, but also like try to keep you safe. Um, the animals in this book are top notch. They really are, <laughs> and I love the combination of the badger and the magpie because. One is is like slower and older and more thoughtful. And, and the I other one's the like, way. boo, I'm a bird. Yeah. And I love it when she picks up the badger and just carries him. And Her? then, it, no, badger him, is him. a man and magpie is a woman because they were humans. Right, so. right, right, right. Because badgers are huge. And I just imagine, like, and it says, like, the badger, like, snuggled into her. And I just imagine carrying this, like, huge fluffy badger and it, like, breathing and snuffling and, oh. <laughs> and then there's a point when the badger says, I've had enough of this. My pride has taken all it can. I'll walk. <laughs> and the badger loses weight during their journey and becomes more spry because he's not used to exercising. But then they end up walking for thousands of miles. So, yeah. Gets used um, to it. Also, it was great to see a badger character. We haven't had a badger in a while. And anyone who'd like to hear our <laughs> dubious uh, thoughts... <laughs> about badger biology what are they should listen to our red wall episode are they marsupials <laughs> or giant rodents yeah check out our red wall episode um i also loved the golden bear in the wood um that bear is such a sweetie oh. and because it was the only animal big enough to carry hannah would help them out if she was injured or mm-hmm. things like that um yeah carried fox kith yeah um and was always paid in you know honey or yeah. sh- uh, sugar root or whatever it was that hannah was uh, mm-hmm. i think it was sugar cane like stalks of sugar yeah. cane um and the fox cubs are really funny because they are also like secondary characters, but they don't talk really. I think, I think they I can. I think they're too young. I think they can understand and they communicate in their own way. But yeah, they're, they're just too young. Babes to, yeah. Everyone is trapped in the current age that they're in. Like no one is growing older, so mm-hmm. they can't grow up. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they are, don't they turn back into the cook's children? Yeah, they're yeah. like little kids. Mm-hmm. So weird that you've spent all these years with your own children. You're like, oh, there's annoying foxes. Yeah. Because <laughs> the magpie doesn't love them. No, he really does, or she really doesn't. No. Um, but yeah, excellent book for animals. Uh, I mean, I, I would really recommend this book for readers of all ages but i think it could be read by um pretty young Mm -hmm. readers too and i think they'd enjoy it and it wouldn't be too scary um or overwhelming or anything like that uh and then yeah you get these added layers of complexity the older that you get Mm -hmm. so i think the animals are a big draw for a young reader or an old reader (laughs) or an old one (laughs) old (laughs) now let's discuss Pretend food. Pretend food. This book is rich with imaginary victuals. And although Hannah is vegan, uh, another reason I thought of Redwall is that there are so many compelling, interesting forest meals that are made without any kind of meat. Um, Although in Redwall, they do use... um, they use some of the like non sentient animals and some of right. their cooking, and and yeah. they use cheese. They use dairy, um, but it's it's kind of similar in terms of like a lot of nut based dishes, um, and the types of like teas and things that Hannah brews. I I mean, the central pretend food is the tea that's made from her hair flowers, <laughs> which uh, oh, I feel weird about it, but I also like. 
want to try it. Yeah. I mean, not to sap her power, but, but just to see like. what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. I bet just it's just like a really bright and also earthy tea with like notes of citrus and earthiness and it um, has like a vanilla sweetness. I was thinking of it. Yeah. Kind of like, like an, like an oolong. Oh, mm, yeah. No, that's a good point. Oh, I want some oolong tea. I love oolong tea. Maybe I'll go to Trader Joe's. Okay. I want to read um, this segment about a bun that Magpie stole from a cotter. <laughs> Poor cotters. <laughs> All I could think was like that was probably their uh, one bun for the next month. All right. I saw a woman baking today, Magpie told her one afternoon, dropping a fresh brown bun into her lap. It reminded me of something. I can't think what. Hannah stared in surprise at the perfect puff of bread nestled among the thatch. When did you cook this? She asked. And from what? Have we any flour? Magpie sat on the twigs of thatch and looked at her. You didn't make off with this? Hannah exclaimed. The pied bird fluffed her feathers. (laughs) The woman had a double dozen of them cooling on the sill, and I didn't steal it. I left her a beetle, a nice fat (laughs) one. It was shiny (laughs) blue-black. And then about... um, Hannah considered the bun. The gentle swell of its crust was punctured with the needle-like scorings of magpie's toes. The baker had used white yeast, not sour leaven. Hannah could smell the clean, saltless flavor. She bit into the bun. The smooth, flaky texture dissolved in her mouth. She could not stop eating until she had finished. I mean, I eat well and frequently, and (laughs) that's how I eat bread, too. (laughs) I can relate. Gorgeous writing. Yeah. Really gorgeous. It's just, and and the book is just full of of things like that. And there's so much. They're very closely observed. Sustenance given in this book. Yeah. And I think that is because it is a survival book in a lot of ways. Mm. And it reminds me of, you know, we talk a lot about whether books have feast food or questing food. And it is questing food. They all have one or the other. And this book is all questing food. It's all sustenance food. Yeah, exactly. Um, But there's still room for some tasty moments like that. And Hannah and the animals definitely savor everything that they eat. And like I said, it's all so closely observed because food is so important because they're constantly like, okay, where is our next meal coming Mm -hmm. from? And Hannah spends all her time, you know, you'd think like, yeah, she lives in the forest and she has to like brew a draft from her uh, hair once a month. But like, what else is she doing the rest of the time? And she has a full life just caring for herself and making sure that they have enough stored, especially because it's winter yeah. um, and nothing is growing right. because Hannah won't get out there and bring the spring. Yep. <sighs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work to feed yourself when you live in a barren wood. That's, that's all I have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, the coolest pretend food is really like the grains that fall from her hair yeah. and just all the little, yeah the medicines that she makes for the cotters that's all Hannah born. Um, and that the food is really like the earliest realization of her power in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Yeah. Um, like she's completely self-sufficient. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah, she and is. I'm into it. The other pretend food I wanted to call out was the, uh, Three smooth stones that Hannah turns into oh, yeah. radishes really by cool. rubbing them between her palms, which yeah. is such a satisfying moment of magic. Yeah. Um, and it's really... Her magic is so wholesome. It's lovely. Yeah. I know. Uh, it's really the first time that she decisively does something. Um, it's like, hey, turn these stones to radishes. Yeah. There we go. No, that's a good point. And I bet those really perked up whatever woodland soup it is that they made. Woodland soup. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's so much pretend food in this book. We could t- talk about it forever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, let us know your favorite treasure at the heart of the Tanglewood fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe listen. Let us know your favorite uh, pretend food in this book in particular and in no others. A fun thing about covering lesser known books is that our episodes get to the first page of Google search results fairly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> because there's. Other media. 
Oh, that's great. Um, and uh, I love, yeah, I love hearing from listeners who are like, hey, I looked, you know, I looked up this one Diana Wynn Jones book and there's like nothing about it except your podcast. So I listened so, to it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not saying we're the best. I'm saying we're the only ones. <laughs> Which does technically make you the best. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but thanks for listening, everyone. Okay, it's time for us to announce our baddest ladies. Um, which which lady was the most badass to you on a personal level, and who is someone you'd like to model yourself after? I, I, I can go first. You, those are two different people you're asking me? or No, just... I'm just describing what it is that we're doing. So I really, really, like... I love Hannah, and I've already described why. I feel like you have unconsciously styled yourself after Hannah, at least in terms of your hair. Well, yeah, I am. I mean, me growing my hair out was like heavily influenced by this podcast because we keep reading about heroines with like beautiful flowing locks that are a source of their power. So, um, my haircut was also influenced by our podcast, specifically (laughs) Kel's hair. Kelletry of Mindelin. Because, yeah, you can't see me, but you guys, oh, my hair looks like Kel's Kel, hair. I have, yes. a, I have a medieval page haircut, and I am not going back. I love yes, it. Yes, Kel, yes. Um, so I'm going to do two. Sorry. Is that okay? Do it. Okay. Take so all the ladies. My first. <laughs> Leave me you with can, the wizard. You can do the same one. <laughs> no, I know. Go ahead. Uh, mine is, first is Hannah, and... Hannah, I give to her forest food and ancient magic. Mm. That's her rating. Nice. And uh, Magpie is yes. <laughs> lady. Magpie's a great character. I Without Magpie, we'd have like Magpie. no comedic relief in the entire book. And also, I just, I love crows and Magpie is, she's Magpie, so she's like a crow type spirit. Mm-hmm. Um and I give and she's a cook to magpie. What's cuter than a bird cooking? Stolen buns. <laughs> That's her rating. Twice a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard. I, you know, in theory, I'd like to give badass lady to the ancient mother, but you know, truth is, she's just not that exciting. Yeah. <laughs> And it's hard. Like, she has to bear the brunt of all the saddest stuff in the book. Like, yeah, yeah, Hannah had a life of abuse and isolation at the hands of the wizard, but she didn't know what she lost. The tree has been there not only oozing sap from her open wound all these years, but also using what tiny amount of strength she has left to feed all of her subjects who have been sending them to die who have been turned into animals and are trying to survive on this barren, totally isolated island. And then also every once in a while having to turn one of them into a human because she knows that if she doesn't get her bud back, everyone will die. Um, it's it's bleak. bleak stuff. It's not good. Yeah. It is not nice. The island is very scary. I didn't like it there. And, you know, it's going to be a little while till it starts feeling good again. Um, so, you know, honorable mention to ancient mother. She's born a lot. She's, played her part mm-hmm. um and i love that she ends the book just by going to sleep um so i do appreciate that but you know i'm gonna give my badass lady meter to marda cool. she is so yeah, awesome. awesome um she is so positive she's so caring and sweet she i think really recognizes that hannah just needs some mothering or just parenting <laughs> just some kind of guidance and love and even though it's just for a couple days she helps Hannah in immeasurable ways um and ultimately sets her on the path that leads to her finding the queen and discovering the extent of her own powers um and she's also just a cool lady like she most of her vision she's is really gone neat. but she lives on her own she and makes takes good care of herself. like pastries or something for Hannah I remember those <laughs> Um, makes good pastries. She does. Something. She feeds her something that Hannah really likes. Marta has a great pretend food moment of her own because she brings Hannah into her home and carves slices alternately from a great loaf of coarse brown bread and a yellow well of cheese. And then uh, besides the bread and cheese serves ginger beer, scraped carrots in a piquant sauce and honey cane. 
Hannah relished every bite except the cheese, which she gently declined. Hannah, cheese is amazing. I, I know, I know you're a vegan. I'm She's sorry. a tree, Grace. She can't eat dairy. <laughs> and the ginger beer makes her woozy because she's a sweet forest child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mar- so Marta is living on her own, doing her thing. She's still working. She makes gorgeous needlework. She um, walks by herself to the special events. She's self-reliant and she seems like she has a great life. Yeah. Um, and I strive to be like Marta. My rating for Marta is a an incredibly exquisite, detailed storytelling quilt that she actually lets me look at and read the entire story from. You really did not. You were I was. About I that. was like, yeah, close to a scream of rage. Wow. Anyway, don't don't take quilts away from Grace before she's ready. Yeah, now you all know she will bite you. I need time with my quilt. Time. <laughs> Okay, and I think that's it for Treasure at the Heart of the Tanglewood. This is a beautiful book. Read it. It's if really you've lovely. made it all the way to this point and haven't read this yeah. book, oh my God, what are you doing? Read this book. Check it out. Um, we, uh, our next episode, we'll announce it now. Um, we are doing something a little special. It's not about a book. It's about a an animated miniseries called Over the Garden Wall and we're doing a Halloween episode that is discussing the fantasy influences and elements that are a part of this show. Um, It's something that is incredibly near and dear to both of us and very important um, personally and yeah I'm really excited for the episode so we'll be releasing that right around Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, it's going to be really fun and you should also totally watch it if you haven't because it's just incredible it's all on hulu if you have a hulu account um so yeah check it out we'll we'll post about it on social media too so that folks can check it out before the episode if they would like it's also just great to watch at halloween it's yeah, the perfect, perfect. autumn show mm-hmm. if you would like to follow us we are on instagram at dragon babies podcast on twitter at dragon babies pod and you can check us out on our website dragonbabiespodcast.com where we put up pictures of our book covers and other related media from episodes and on there you can also send us a message if you have any requests of your own or you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com i'm grace and i'm madeline until next time goodbye <laughs>